speed of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is James Fox, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and with me is my bottling co-host Dan who I did ask did he want to read the intro and he's just told us no because again he said he the people aren't worth it I think was his exact words. Is that right? How, how can I compete with those beautiful northern tones? Hmm. Hmm. Disappointing. <laughs> but yeah, welcome everyone back to the podcast. And do you know what I realize I've just done? Someone had said earlier uh, that they really like the podcast because we don't talk about inane nonsense for 20 minutes before we get into to interviews or conversation and stuff. And I think we've started with it, but it's not 20 minutes. It's like 40 seconds so far. So that's okay. We we do talk about a lot of stuff before we start recording that people could maybe say was any nonsense you know but yeah we, we get that out the way though um all the libel stuff just just to make sure <laughs> that we can we're good but listen um we want to just firstly say thank you to the sponsor manscaped who have come on board recently and thank you all the listeners who so far have used the promo code andy ufo manscaped been very generous reaching out to us and they, they sent myself and dan some of their stuff for free dan's just been telling me about the boxers he was wearing that he got uh which were pretty cool we got t-shirts as well um which we're not wearing at the minute but i will be doing a little unboxing video for the social media soon so um it really is appreciated uh and they sent us the lawnmower 4.0 the groomer which was really really cool i used that last night for the first time and it's a great piece of kit it's it's premium stuff it's really good quality and i'm glad people appreciated me uh slipping in some of the the ufology or ufo talk and with some of the the reads as well um for example dan the upgraded trimmer giving you a multi-function on off switch that can engage the travel lock and also gives you the ability to turn the 4000k led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave the spotlight would put the phoenix lights to shame now that is some good <laughs> that is some good stuff isn't it no no word of a lie i literally used it as a torch yesterday <laughs> Yeah, and only Dan would get a really high-end premium male groomer and just use the torch <laughs> on it. But it just shows you how uh, how good he is with this kind of stuff, you know, being, uh, what's the word, being efficient or, or being creative? I'm not too sure, but either way, it's, it's appreciated for all of you who have headed over to manscaped.com in the early days of our sponsorship. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO. So ANDYUFO at checkout, 
20% off and free shipping as well. It really does make a difference to the podcast. It is a really good product. We've got it, we've tried it, and we appreciate all of your support as well. And if it's not for yourself, get a gift for a family member or a friend or or you know someone you don't like, send them a gift, you know, even if you hate them. Why not? It's, it's nice to be nice, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, spread love in the world. Yeah, Dan's all about spreading love. Listen, um, quite a cool night for uh, for UFO news, to be honest. We got a, a Tom DeLong Jim Semivan interview last night, Dan, didn't we? And I was quite impressed by it. Seen seen pretty good um, write ups and people quite happy with it. I know you've got a lot of notes. I've got a lot of notes. Um, but what else we're going to talk about um, after after that is. If you've heard one of Ross Coulthart's many, many interviews recently, I am still speaking to him next month uh, when things will be a bit fresher and he's got some new information coming out, apparently. Um, he mentioned Bob Fish, or Robert Fish, as people may know him as, um, someone whose name comes up when we hear about John Podesta and leaked emails and, and all that kind of stuff as well. And Ross Coulthart said on a few interviews, people should be speaking to Bob Fish. I did reach out to Bob Fish as soon as I heard that. Bob was very gracious and sent me back quite a lengthy email or a couple of emails with uh, some some stuff that he's more than happy for me to quote. He isn't looking to do um, any interviews just now or or engage with the UFO community, as he says. I've read out to Dan before. Dan was quite um, in, impressed with the responses I was given. Very, um, yeah. Yeah, almost a little bit disappointed that he's not coming on to talk to anyone just now. And do you know what? If he does agree to speak to someone, brilliant. I would love to speak to him, but he definitely, given what he said to me, sounds like someone that you want to hear from. I'm going to read out the response in full um, after we've talked about the Tom DeLong and Jim Semivan interview. We we should say as well that Andy has asked permission to read these responses out. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's important to just always treat people with respect, and I just wanted to be clear in that. Yeah, it, whenever I get a quote from anyone at all, I always make sure it's okay for them for me to share anything. Sometimes people will tell me, um, say this instead, or they'll tidy up what they've said a little bit. Um, Bob was very, very gracious to say, do you know what? Yeah, you can share that information. That's fine. So what I'm going to do is read it out, and it'll also be posted on Twitter as well. Maybe not by me. I have asked uh, Joe Murgia, who loves to transcribe stuff, if he wants to post it because he loves digging through that kind of material as well. So it will be coming out on Twitter as well for folks to kind of read through, retweet and digest a little bit more. But I will read it, read it out at the end of this. However, last night uh, we had Into the Impossible with Brian Keating. Um, we're also joined by Kurt Jaimungo of Theories of Everything podcast as well. And they had Tom DeLong and Jim Semivan on for an interview. And there was no Angels and Airwaves chat, no Blink-182 chat. It was it was UFOs, consciousness, aliens, UAP, and, and all the good stuff that many of us want to hear about. I'd, I'd say there was a little Angels chat just because there was a little chat about creativity and how it kind of influences, how the phenomena influences Tom and his art. Like I said, there was no Angels and Airwaves chat unless you're Dan and a massive fan of Tom DeLong, Proper fanboy where it was like, oh, Proper Angels fanboy. and Airwaves. Yeah, Angels and Airwaves, Tom. Yeah. Do you know what? If I had Tom on the podcast and he said, okay, I'll answer one question, Dan would totally ruin it with, oh, your next album, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be a creative expression <laughs> of your... Yeah. But listen, it, it was really good to hear Tom just coming on a podcast where he's not really done for a while properly and, and engaging in conversation. So... You seem to get really good write-ups and good reviews. What were your initial thoughts, Dan, when it finished? You know, um, I mean, some of the gym, some of the stuff that Jim said was pretty, you know, startling. 
one of the things we'll talk about, he, he said during the TMZ kind of marathon a few weeks back or a few months back, I've, uh, time is weird in the, in the pandemic. Um, but in terms of Tom and how he was, I, I think this is the interview that everyone kind of wanted from him for a while. And if he was like this on Joe Rogan, where he was a little bit reserved in what he was saying, but a bit more confident in specific places, um, I think I think it would have done wonders, you know. I couldn't help but wonder, what if? What I will say is, yes, I enjoyed it from, from a, a selfish interviewer's point of view. And having the podcast, it gave me a lot of ammunition for when i get to speak to tom DeLong, because yes. there is a whole lot there i was you know that thing i've talked about where i'm shouting ask this or follow up on this and it just it just wasn't done and there's definitely i think a few things that he mentioned that i was like ah you could have got in there but it wasn't necessarily the the audience for that there's there's this thing where certain people like lou like tom you know how people like that they don't like to say what the government knows but it seems that if you give them a chance to preface it with, in my opinion, they will tell you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we have to remember, this isn't a UFO podcast it was on. It was a, a scientific podcast. Brian Keating announced at the start of it that he he was also part of the Galileo Project with Avi Loeb and others. Um, he's on the advisory side of things. Um, I believe that was yeah, what he said, Dan. Right. Yeah, Like a research affiliate. Yeah, so that that's good to see he's involved in that. And a self-confessed skeptic, which is which is great, and that's that's fine. That's what we need. Someone coming into this who would be more than happy for, yep, there's nothing in it, and we've proved that. But also he's coming into it to say, maybe there is something to it, and I would love there to be UFOs dipping in and out the ocean, or nuts and bolts craft, or non-physical craft materialising in orbit. Spoiler alert. But that's that's good to see and that's good to have him on board and we also had kurt Jaimungo, like i say host of theories of everything podcast hopefully we might be speaking to kurt soon on this podcast as well that's early early talks for that one folks as a bit of a um bit of a news drop for you um kurt came into this from a very inquisitive place where he you could really see he doesn't know what to think yet of the subject and it, you can you can see the wheels turning in his head, which when you've got a video podcast, it's good to kind of see that on YouTube. Where there was a lot of pauses that I think if you were if you were just listening to the audio, you might have been like, you know, why the big gap or delete that or a post production program might remove a lot of those silences. But when you're watching it, you can see he's almost a little confused at some of the the stuff being talked about. Not that he doesn't understand, but just from a point of view of, I can't believe I'm talking about this as potentially being being real yeah yeah absolutely kurt, kurt likes to use his interviews um as a kind of like office hours so everything's very conversational and it's him exploring ideas and you're exactly right that's why we get the kind of silences where you can see the cogs whirring but that's why i really love his channel because he's thoughtful and what more can you ask for you know that's it so um, into the interview, I've got a ton of notes here. I know Dan does as well. Uh, and I, I liked already a few people on Twitter when I asked them their thoughts, said they hadn't listened to it. They were going to wait on myself and Dan breaking it down for them. So um, if, you've, if you've not heard it yet, hopefully we can do it justice. Uh, right at the start, Jim Semivan, who is far more elusive than Tom DeLong um, and doing these kind of things and someone I wish we heard more from. Uh, he says early on when he was first introduced to Tom DeLong and... Um, Tom was starting to get involved at the level he eventually got to with, with Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Jim Semivan, Hal Putoff, Steve Justice, all those guys. He felt Tom DeLong putting his information together and explaining what he thought had hit the nail on the head 
with his kind of summary of what the phenomenon may or may not be. And um, that seems to be quite an endorsement from from Jim Semivan of Tom DeLong's line of thinking, Dan, yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it was really interesting that Tom followed on from that comment with talking about consciousness and science as, you know, we have them kind of separate at the moment. And they used to be one and the same. Um, and he thinks what's ahead of us is that those things are going to become one of the same. Um, and he explained, which he might have said before, but I didn't realize um, that the arts and science in, you know, TTSA, um, he thinks of the arts as ideas and consciousness. So really what that is, is consciousness and science. Yeah. And that's he's kind of getting at the fact that, you know, 2000 years ago or more, people's way of understanding magic or or science was religion because that was how they could understand things at that time and that's maybe why a lot of these things are are put into context of of religious texts um he, he mentioned our brains just being oh quick side note do you know what it made me think of as well though was like if religion was the science of the time and how things were understood and then it's evolved into you know science hopefully taking over a bit more you remember in the south park episode with the otters where Basically, it is science as the new religion, but it's evolved to a place of where people are now warring over science. And it's the same question, just asked three different ways. And it's like, that's where you could see, hopefully not, but you know, the evolution of science could go um, if it takes over as the new religion. Um, but yeah, that, it just made me think of that the way Tom mentioned it. And he mentioned initially something I've talked about before, and we've talked about Dan on the podcast with different guests that, you know, as we are some type of antenna antennae antenna um which makes me think are our brains just receivers you know that the soul isn't necessarily based locally you know the idea of like casper the friendly ghost when you die and your soul floats out your body maybe that's not how it works and you're you've talked about the idea before that your brain just receives a signal from somewhere else and it could be totally non-local that you're experiencing what you experience as the human condition because you're getting that signal from elsewhere. I kind of got a little bit of that when, again, it's not the first time I've heard this mentioned about being an antenna of some sorts. What what, what do you like about that kind of thing, or not like even? Although I think, no, I I think mean, you do like I, that conversation. I, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. You know, we, we've spoken about this before, and it's a really interesting thing to me um, to think about. The the thing I worry about with the antenna analogy is that people think of it like, you know, we, we have an antenna and then we have like a broadcasting station elsewhere. So people will be like, well, where's the source coming from? when really the source is, you know, it's it's all layered up on top of each other. So it's not necessarily that, you know, there's a beacon on Alpha Centauri beaming out consciousness. It's that consciousness permeates everything. And we can just view this level, basically, in this world, and that there may be other ones beside us and above us. And, you know, it's really crazy to think about. I think Jim Semivan mentioned at some point, I don't. I think it was later on, but to do with, oh no, actually, sorry, I'm, I'm getting it confused with the Bob Fish email and there's something relevant that Bob says later on about your your eyes and ears can't see certain things, but your mind can potentially view them. And I'll read that out within the context of the email later, but again, it, it gets back to, you know, when you dream, does it take away those kind of senses that maybe interfere with being able to see all that other stuff and you know the world of remote viewing and all that kind of stuff as well so i thought that was pretty interesting interesting point um skinwalker ranch was mentioned very early on by kurt he just kind of blurted it out it was like uh, there was a little bit of mumbling in the context and then skinwalker ranch what's going on there and tom was like uh me uh, <laughs> so 
I don't think there was anything necessarily new there was there where he talks about multiple things happening at Skinwalker Ranch, umbrella phenomenon, there's potential, you know, dimensional or d- different dimensions at play, um, time displacement. Um, what were your thoughts? Because I, I want to talk a little bit about here about the idea of displacing time and how these things may or may not appear. Yeah, the, this was an interesting section. Tom, you know, Jim was pretty reserved. He just said, you know, a lot of stuff happens there. Um, whereas Tom had more knowledge of it than I expected. Um, you know, he, he spoke about Skinwalker as a kind of pathway for discussing alternative explanations aside from ET, um, because the data doesn't seem to necessarily suggest that it is ET. Um, he mentioned that the craft seemed to displace our time like a sub in the ocean, which is really interesting because we we've definitely touched on speaking about the medium that we are in and we always use the the ocean analogy right um but in that analogy i guess the ocean would be time itself um and there's there's not really been done a a a lot of research on that kind of idea um or or on time itself to be honest so it'll be interesting if that's the path that this goes down um later on tom does kind of say to kurt and ryan that that's their hope that by talking about this, the these aspects will start to be explored. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know it's kind of touched on in a couple of different places, right? And I think it'd be a good good time to talk about it. The whole idea of like displacing time, and I, I think this might be something I kind of position really badly. So I try and use analogies that I understand to to try and get my point across. Okay, that's cool. That's what that's what our analogies are for. So a few things, when you think about, for example, if you're talking about a place like Skinwalker Ranch just being a really strong place for, forget the TV show, right? Forget they're trying to make a TV show as part of it, that there's something going on there, right? Um, If you imagine one of these objects, and Tom talks about that they don't necessarily come from far away in space, but, and we've talked about, again, Dan, to our credit, I'd like to think on this program that potentially they materialize in space because maybe it's an easier way to come into this reality and not have all those different factors of weather and atmospheres and all that kind of stuff maybe yeah yeah and and there's the idea as well that the the propulsion system would expel so much energy that it could be really dangerous for them to do on earth you know it might wipe out a state or something like that yeah i mean right so i've talked about as well that so imagine like we are in the ocean okay and one of these things wants to wants to come in. If you come in from the top of the ocean, you're and you're you're, you're having to puncture that initial layer of water on the top. Okay, and it only takes a tiny bit of force to do that. But maybe they have to do something similar to get into this reality, where there's some level of force has to be applied. Well, to to, to get through that that's interesting because. As you know, TTSA have a bunch of books and they're all called Secret Machines. And there's a reason for for, for that. Um, the, the secret in the title is kind of a play on the idea that these machines are secreted from elsewhere. So, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you've just explained that and it's the okay, same thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I, I haven't actually read those yet. I've got a few on audiobook that I do mean to get to and I will definitely get to at some point. I'd love the, to talk the good about fun. them more. The, uh, the Gods, Man and War Isn't Out Yet series is a little bit dry, uh, but it talks about a lot of really interesting things. Um, whereas the other series, Chasing Shadows and A Fire Within, are more like Dan Brown airport kind of reads you know they're, they're a lot of fun and you'll get through them quickly but imagine dan brown but with ufo law okay cool so 
that's my thinking is that, that maybe these things sometimes have to push through and that's why you get the kind of people talk about gravitational lensing and all that kind of effects and maybe that's that affects how we can take clear pictures of them or videos and all that kind of stuff and why they can look bloody and hazy um so it would be the same as you know pushing pushing a submarine down the top of the ocean the water doesn't go away it just moves away from it and you then have that kind of effect of them coming in and it would look a bit warped and distorted almost like creating like uh, an interdimensional viewport that you can move around but that viewport to us looks like a craft hold that hold that yeah so my other one is a little bit like and i think i've talked on this before quantum leap he goes into a chamber and the idea is that al can be in the chamber if you've not seen quantum leap guy goes in and travels back in time great tv show go great and watch TV it show, yeah. yeah hopefully they, they disappointing ending though i will say uh, uh hopefully it's not ended hopefully they bring it back there's always, there's always talk about the way it comes back um interesting ending um but the idea being that he jumps and leaps into different people's bodies in time and has to complete a purpose to to then move on to hopefully try and leap home okay al who is his kind of companion along the way has done he is um accompanying him as a hologram so he can't interact with the environment but he can be there with him and you see al on the way and i wonder maybe is it a way that these things sometimes especially maybe the non-physical ones go into some sort of apparatus on one end that allows them like i think you've just kind of said there allows them to view this reality or to some extent see this reality you know people talk about orbs and all that kind of stuff maybe that's an element of that and it's how they can they can kind of come into this this space without necessarily physically being here how how about a nice futurama reference can you remember the episode where they make a time machine that only goes forward yeah and they kind of they like overshoot the end of the universe and they have to loop back around and stuff like that but if you think about that specific craft that craft was in one place. It did not move. The universe, mm-hmm. you know, kind of moved around it. But given that we move through physical space, to anyone on Earth looking at that craft, it would look like that craft was moving. And it would be yeah. moving in the direction that, you know, probably opposite to where the Earth was moving and where the universe was moving and everything like that. So it's, it's in, and essentially that craft was a viewport throughout time and it could just loop and loop and loop and it looked like it did crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but to the occupants, it was, perfectly reasonable you know there weren't any crazy g-forces because they were still the physics of that would hurt your head though wouldn't they like yeah. I, i'm not a mathematician at all this but is why i'm pleased start... brian and you know eric weinstein and kurt are kind of getting in on it because these are the guys who can do the equations instead of just wax lyrical you know absolutely but yeah i just wanted to bring that up there as a you know speculative piece on on that kind of idea and just to get people thinking a little bit about nuts and bolts craft and traveling from a to b this is stuff that potentially we have to start looking at and when we keep hearing things like the universe or the phenomenon is far stranger than we can can think of or can perceive or can imagine it's that kind of stuff where you have to start going it's not just how we understand things traveling from a to b it could be all of this or none of what we talk about at all and something no one's even considered which is probably just as likely Um, imagine trying to like say say for example we got the thing they made in up and a dog could talk and then you try and explain to the dog some of the things that happens in the world you know the dog knows your house you know that you're fairly familiar with the people inside it it doesn't know there are billions of other humans outside and billions of other dogs it knows about birds maybe but like my, my dog has a, a giraffe teddy but she has no idea the giraffes are real so there are certain things in the world that would just 
they would melt her brain, you know, like, hey, look at this. This is a factory. What's a factory? There would be so much to explain. And it's going to be the same with us in this phenomena. The questions we are asking are so, they're almost childlike at the moment, you know, just because we don't know what we're dealing with. And and like, um, I think it was Brian said that there's no kind of real lexicon and collection of words that we can use to describe a lot of this stuff. And that's what we need to start building. And once we do that, we can actually start having proper scientific conversations about this stuff. Absolutely. Even imagine going back in time, like 40 years, right? And approaching Steve Jobs and I can't remember, what was the other guy's name who who helped him start Apple? Steve Wozniak. Steve there, Wozniak. there was another guy, um, but he sold his shares fairly early on and he probably regrets for, it the rest was it, of his was life. Was it like $12,000 $12, or something? And yeah. the shares are now worth like $300 million, something like yeah. that. Ridiculous, yeah. Um, but well done, that guy, for helping start things. He's, you know, he's one morally. Yeah, go him. Yeah, but right. imagine going back in time and going to them and saying, okay, I've got this idea, like I'm from the future and it's an iPhone. And they'd be like, okay. And you're, you're telling them what an iPhone does. They'd probably love it. And then they say, okay, how do we make it? You couldn't tell them how to make that. You couldn't tell them how it works. But you could influence them in a really subtle way. There, there was a point part of this conversation, uh, the interview with Tom and Jim, that was really interesting where Jim That's was That's what I was going to get to, but I'll let you carry on. I know what you're going to say. Whether the phenomena was a kind of... It was just trying to impact us on a sociocultural yeah. level. You know, he said, well, what's the point of a cattle mutilation? Well, we're sat here talking about it and talking about concepts that really stretch our understanding of the universe. And this kind of conversation of what is what advances us. Um, and in your example, going back with an iPhone, you know, if you went back to Steve Jobs with an iPhone and you tried to explain it, he wouldn't have a goddamn clue how to make that thing. But yeah. you could say to him, every single person in the world has one of these. And he'd go, whoa, what? We can make computers for everyone? And then you kind of have the, you know, the reason of being for Apple. And then their goal is to make computers for everyone, you know, not to make the iPhone, but to kind of pro proliferate that technology and impact our culture. So yeah. it, it's interesting, you know, you can kind of pull a broad stroke from the from the influence. And that's and that's I'm glad you said that. That's where I was going with that. That you you couldn't explain it. You couldn't go back and tell them how to do it. You don't have the wherewithal and the know how. But you know you know what it is and how to use it. And maybe some of the stuff we're getting, like Jim says, and you've heard this before in other interviews, is the fact that it's it's there to give us something to look at and talk about and start to work out and maybe it advances our technology in some way shape or form if roswell had been a crash that was deliberate that we then used some of the technology to make the first computer chips do you know what we never made anti-gravitational craft that could fly through the solar system the universe or or different dimensions not at that point in time maybe but it did let us start to make or develop faster computers and a lot of technology that came after that. So maybe that's, and that's what they kind of got at in, in parts of the interview as well. Yeah, they, they exemplified it at one point with um, talking about Project Galileo and saying that if Project Galileo gets one photograph, that is permission for every single scientist on this planet to turn their attention towards it, towards the subject. And we've seen over the past few years what can happen when scientists do that on a global scale. We went from no coronavirus vaccine to how many have we got now? And we're arguing over the different veracity. You know, it's a problem that we probably wouldn't have thought we would have. Like, <laughs> we have so much advancement that we, we can't kind of pass it properly. And it would yeah. be wonderful to get to that point with this subject. 
where they all get involved and if people work together a little bit and yeah, pull, pull I want the resources climbing and... over each other to be involved in this because this is huge and that that brings me to another thing that Tom was talking about where someone said what kept you up at night what was it that you were told that kept you up at night and he had this really great rant where he basically said I'm not going to talk about that and then spoke about it um yeah and and he said that it was kind of the realization well, he mentioned that there might be an influence to keep us suppressed in a weird way where they can take advantage, which I thought was interesting because it kind of plays into the war angle of the, the book series. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he said that once you kind of start to really internalize um, Grok, the idea, um, that you start to look around you and not really trust your environment. And he said that his mom's, you know, full on Christian, goes to church every Sunday. Yeah. Um, and he said, but if his mom saw... Jesus in her house with a crown of thorns floating, glowing, floating towards her in the middle of the night. She would freak out. Like it's a reality people aren't ready for. But yep. it made me think of how religion, it, it kind of codifies ideas. You, you know, the Bible isn't necessarily exactly about the stories. They're about the lessons we take from the stories, right? And it kind of codifies these ideas. And we, we accept them safely in those forms. You know, like talking about the science of the Holy Trinity is crazy, but it seems like we're starting to get to a point where we can talk about the science of the body, spirit, and mind. And that's really interesting because as Tom said, you know, that, that idea, that Holy Trinity kind of links all of the religions and all of the myths and things like that. Um, so it's pointing that religion isn't really about the stories. It's about the physics it's hinting at. Yeah, and I'm going to follow up on the religion point there. Just something that was just said before that, we don't even have to discuss it. I'm just going to throw this in there. Jim Semivan, once again, like Chris Mellon and other people have done, was couldn't state more clearly, this is not Russia, this is not China, this is not the United States. It leaves nothing as the other option, and that nothing is non-human technology. He referred to it as or non-human it. intelligence. It's clearly not human. He then paused and said, well, not, not human, human as, as we, we know, know it. it. But he'd done that thing that if you're a, a, an expert in body language, it was that he's correcting himself because there's something he knows or is aware of because he he does that thing where he looks a certain way and goes, yeah, not as we know it, almost as if something inside's going, ah, that's not quite right. It's, it is kind yeah. of human. It's a breadcrumb, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like the stuff that Tom in this interview kept saying, in my opinion, it's this like Semivan's comments like this fit right in with what Tom was saying. And we've got to remember the statement right at the beginning that Tom hit the nail on the head, according to Semivan. So it's, it's a bonanza of an interview, really. Do you know what? I would like to go back and watch this interview again, but ask if Brian and Kurt could release the video of Tom talking, but I want to see Jim Semivan stream the whole time because I want to see his reactions to what Tom's saying. And that's not something we got to see just with the way it's cut. And I would rather see how Jim's facials change with certain statements. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There, there was just a to see that, if there's any give or tell or you you know how and on a similar line how people are reacting. Um, I, I thought Kurt had a great comment that I kind of really resonated with. He he said in Metal Gear Solid, when a guard was alerted, there would be like an exclamation mark over their head. And he said that this subject makes him constantly feel like in that late stirrup with a exclamation mark over his head. And I, I really, uh, I really identified with that. Would, would that make like the Twitter trolls, the ones that are crawling about in cardboard boxes, hiding behind us all now and again, just knocking on walls? <laughs> 
distracting us. That's just what that is. Playing up to the trickster element. Yeah, and there's a little Metal Gear Solid reference for the folk on there. But listen, if Kurt J. Mungo can do it on a podcast with Jim Semivan and Tom DeLong, then we can do it here. It's the um, semiotics of our generation, right? Absolutely. Um, now, listen, uh, you mentioned religion before, and Tom talked about that, um, his mother's religious background and how devout Christian she is and everything like that. He also mentioned, I can't remember the follow-up uh, or the context behind it, but it was in that same breadth where he talks about ancient texts within the, oh, that was it. So he was talking about the phenomenon didn't start in the 40s. It went back to long before that. He talked about petroglyphs. He talked about modern times, and he even talked about ancient texts in the Vatican vaults. That's a rabbit hole right there and something. That's the kind of stuff where I'm like, oh, it's a total sidebar, but it's, it's a really good conversation to have. And I would I want to try and get someone on from that point of view that can talk about that whole idea of uh, one of the things I was interested in years ago, folks. Okay, you know, one of those guilty pleasures that kind of gets you into the whole subject of, of like this. And like, I, I love the idea of time travel and different ways to time travel or even just different concepts. I like watching time travel movies to see how they do it. I'll watch even really bad time travel movies or, or, or YouTube clips just to see how the time travel works or how it looks. Okay. Have you, that, I've, I've got to just ask here, have you seen Primer? Uh, yeah, the box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. That's a good one yeah, for if I anyone have. wants to see it. And that's, uh, and that's why I watched that. Ones, actually. Yeah, quite low budget. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's why I watched that back in the day. Um, and then you look at Tenet and the, the idea of the spinning, you know, it goes round and it takes 15 watches to understand it, if you're me. <laughs> um, and I still don't totally do. But th- the idea digressing was that the Vatican has a time machine in its vault, which probably isn't true. However, the idea that they have a lot of stuff down there that pertains to this subject for me is fascinating. And it goes back to that whole point at the start of the interview, Dan, like you mentioned, where religion and science were once the same thing and it's all physics or or what we call physics and then you've got quantum physics and quantum mechanics and a whole load of other quantums that just start to potentially we would call magic but it goes down a whole other realm of this is just how things work it's not the paranormal it's not supernatural it's not quantum holographic theory it's this is just how it works but we still don't understand it and it's got a load of different labels yeah, absolutely. A load of different labels is the right term. You know, all, all the religions seem to have a connection to the heavens, which we think of as a, you know, space and meteors and ET and all things like that. Um, so we can interpret it in totally different ways. Um, and the, at least the Bible is an assembled book from many, many, many different writings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, if you want to talk about controlled narratives, there's one for you. Um, and it, you can explore the other books that aren't included and it does make you wonder what else it's in the vault that they kind of don't show you. Um, <clears throat> but it, it always brings me back to things like the Ellicinian mysteries where basically the idea was that you would go to this place, Lucius, and you would take a psychedelic and be shown the truth of the universe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they recently found out that actually the mysteries kind of, or the ceremony for the mysteries spill out of Eleusius and was actually done around the world in kind of, you know, basements and, you know, kind, kind of like what's going on now where you've got a lot of centers around the world setting up to give people ayahuasca and give them mushrooms and, you know, uh, psilocybin just to influence them. And it, it kind of, researchers are finding that it gives people really interesting experiences that are hard to say aren't real 
um, and that it kind of, I guess, almost refreshes a filter. Um, there's a lot going on when they use it to treat PTSD and things like that. And it's kind of building towards what one of the researchers talks about as a trauma-free world, which is very interesting because what, what would we do as a species if none of us had to deal with trauma? interesting and if you want to dive in a little more about psychedelics and all that kind of stuff dmt mushrooms and, and other things check out uh, our interview with dr andrew gallimore that was a couple of weeks ago now a few months ago as you listen to this but that was a really good one as well dan i'm going to kick on and this is one bit where i, I first went hmm ttsa had to pick between entertainment and science they chose entertainment because of covid okay this was in relation to why Lou and Chris Mellon left. I don't necessarily go with that as as a legitimate explanation. No, they. I mean, there, there was a little bit more in that Tom was saying that realistically they could never compete with people like Lockheed and Boeing and things like that, which, you know, when they spoke about making the anti-gravity craft, all of us kind of went, wait a second, do you have that much money? Um, yeah. So I understand that point, but you know there's been some to and froing uh but for me at least the relationship is good and it seems like the beatles broke up and having really great solo careers yes but when the beatles broke up and went their different ways some of them didn't stay together which is what i don't understand so why if ttsa chose entertainment like tom said is jim semivan still a part of the company because jim semivan is not an entertainer it's an interesting point, and I think it comes back to that kind of cultural influence. You know, we, we've seen the impact stuff like the Marvel movies have had over the past few years. You know, it's gone from something that was quite fun to things where we really heavily look to them for things like guidance over racial issues and female empowerment and things like that. You know, they become vehicles to really influence the world. And I think if you can see the influence they have you can kind of understand what tom is trying to achieve by focusing on storytelling he, he okay, did so. say that he didn't want to that he when he was having meetings in hollywood that he was always careful to say to people like look we don't need to embellish this this is goddamn incredible anyway we don't need to be overly dramatic am i right but he also said on the interview it was just a throwaway line that Hal, which would be Hal Putov, is also still involved with projects they have? Yeah. Um, Hal, I think it's the Scientific Advisory Board, but they're not really doing science, right? Um, but th- this, but is, this is my point. Why, why come out and say we had to choose between entertainment and science? Have a serious guy like Jim Semivan sitting there and then talk about a really well-known scientist like Hal Putov and it doesn't compute like i just you know reference the marvel movies and i know that sean carroll uh, uh you know proper legit did, did you put a, physicist did you put a pound coin in the jar uh i don't have any pound coins but i will oh, okay. i will um and you know he was he was on set for endgame and he advised the kind of the science rules and the multiverse rules so you know when people are watching the marvel stuff now they they kind of almost have a crash course in quantum mechanics if they can kind of get their head around you know the multiverse with loki and things like that um so 
if if the science can be accurate or as accurate as possible, that can be a whole other level of kind of authenticity to the storytelling. You know, people love that about Christopher Nolan's films like Interstellar and stuff like that because they they use real concepts. Um, the other thing I'd mention is that Tom did say that the materials project is still ongoing. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Hell's being kind of retained for that reason. Yeah, Ho- hopefully. It gives me a little bit of hope for TTSA uh, that it's still something that's worth keeping an eye on. Um, yeah. I'm and interested it, in the movies that are that the movie that's going to come out. Monsters in California is due out in a, in a couple of months, I believe. Yeah, um, that's hopefully, right. or they're they're fil- finishing filming at least. Um, it's post production just now. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, soundtracking. Okay, sound probably um, soundtracking pickups and effects. Yeah, so that that'll be an interesting watch, and hopefully, the I think Hal Putov and and Jim Semivan provide some semblance of credibility to still to any scientific effort that's ongoing. Um, and seeing them on board is is good, and it is nice to hear that they're they're still they still have that relationship with like Luella Zondo, Chris Mail, and it wasn't it wasn't a awkward breakup or end of the marriage or anything like that. So that that was kind of good to hear. Uh, moving on from that, Jim Semivan was asked kind of outright about um, you know do they have any alien bodies? Do any governments worldwide have alien bodies? Jim Semivan. Could have Great said that. no. He could have poo pooed it. He just went straight in with the. I'm not going to comment on that. Which that isn't him saying yes, they do, or I know where they are. But that for me is a lead to there's stuff I could talk about, but I can't and won't. Which is is interesting for me still. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, we we know the Sam Van those things that he can't talk about, and he does allude to when he talks about the the UAP report, the preliminary one. He does allude to the fact that. He liked that there were pot shots at the Air Force in there because he knew why the Air Force wasn't collaborating, but yeah. he didn't want to elaborate on it. So there's definitely, it's kind of one of those things though that it's almost like a choose your own adventure thing, right? They're, they're the frustrating comments because to us that could mean something totally different to what MechWest reads into it, right? Yep, Dan, page 12 of Choose Your Own Adventure. Dan, do any governments worldwide have an alien body? No comment. Okay. Is that a yes? No comment. I'd be okay. rubbish under an NDA. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have you, a terrible you'd, poker face. You would break so easily, wouldn't you? You could never do that I kind would. of job. I'm like. just excited for everyone to know about the subject, so I just tell them gleefully. Yeah. yeah. Winking as you say no. So yeah. <laughs> um Tom DeLong goes on to talk about metamaterials a little bit that we'll, we've touched on. Um there is a, a comment made about these beings have been around for so long they wouldn't be interested in our DNA or, or Tom uses the example of what our spleen does, for example, you know. So why are they mutilating cows? Because that cow, cattle mutilations is brought up a few times in this. So for me, if uh, it makes no sense that, you know, they know us, they, they know our, like, literally they know us inside and out, literally and figuratively, then why are they taking apart cows? It's a very good question. Um, Tom mentioned something I've not heard mentioned before at this point, where he speaks about whether they were looking at the food chain for some reason. Um, he doesn't really yeah. elaborate on it, but I thought it was an interesting comment. I mean, I get as a way of studying humanity, you know, they, they eat a lot of, of meat and beef and okay, so we're going to do this. There's a whole other conversation. You get the, the missing the missing four. What's the number? Four? Missing 411? Is that it? Oh, yeah, that's already. right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a whole other conversation. It's a horrible topic to bring up people going missing and, and never having 
closure of a family member, friend, or relative, you know, or whatever it may be, who 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 does go missing and is never found. But is there a potential there that some of these are abductions where people are not returned for whatever reason? It would be horrible to think of. But if they're mutilating cows, then maybe that's just because they're having a look at the the whole ecosystem and that's how it works um so that that's an interesting notion potentially but it just doesn't make sense to me that they know us so well uh but they will still pick a cow up and remove its heart without any incisions and you know they'll they'll, they'll cut along a cell um a surgical what better than surgical precision uh, and all that kind of stuff as well so that was an interesting one for me but c- cattle mutilations definitely seem from from anyone who comes out as an expert, not people who are necessarily experts or have books to do with cattle mutilations, but when you hear government insiders or people like Tom DeLong who are sort of in the know to an extent, they never seem to really give a good reason or seem to admit why cattle mutilations happen. It seems one of those genuine mysteries. Around this point, I got the impression, because Tom spoke about human history and how if you look at our developments, it's kind of us digging through layers. You know, we had the surface world, then we started looking at bacteria, and then we went smaller to atoms, and now it's a quantum, and it's kind of us coming down and down and down. And he says that next is consciousness. Um, And I I kind of took that as him suggesting that there, there would be reasons for them taking the cows that we just can't understand from our point of view. It's it's a funny one. And do you know what? It's given how long the podcast's been going now, I, I probably do need to have that kind of deep dive into the conversation, but that that's something we'll, we'll have a little dig into because Dan and I are at some point in the next few days going to be having a chat around future guests and stuff. So um, more and more of you when we give shout outs for, suggestions are getting in touch which is great for this kind of stuff so if there are anyone uh, from a guest point of view you want to hear from i mean you can tell me tom DeLong and chris mellon and bob lazar all you like don't think that i'm not trying to arrange those that that is absolutely it but if there's someone that you think doesn't get a lot of um attention or, or as much attention as they should then please give us a shout we're more than happy to talk to people that aren't necessarily big names. That's that's not why we're in this. We just want to hear some interesting points of view and conversations. So so please kind of drop us a message in any of the usual channels. Especially if anyone's listening and did any work on uh, the Hastel and Lights, we'd like to talk to you. Oh, Dan would. Yeah, no, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd like that as well, yeah. Um, interesting comment was made about stuff being picked up by satellite. Again, this is something where we'll, we've touched on before. Can, can we just go back just a little bit? Because there was another comment the, the uh, no, we have to keep moving. Time only moves in one direction. It was the body's question. Um, Go and, on. and Tom basically kind of he didn't say yes. We have bodies. He he said that the steps that he's seeing happening now are the logical steps that might one day lead to hey, we collected some stuff. Look at this. Yeah, which I thought again, re- really, really interesting because he could have said no, but instead he kind of said, well, if they did, this is kind of how the process would look. Because he kind of got at the point of, and when he says stuff, what he means is potentially some crashed material, potentially yeah. an intact craft, and, and potentially the a body. was literally about bodies, so yeah. stuff I would take, you know, definitely in that context. Absolutely, and the idea being that he he mentioned the context behind that, that were you know several steps behind that sort of announcement or unveiling or disclosure with a capital d is because they might not understand what it is and it's not a case of they wouldn't want to wheel out here as an in quotes alien body 
because the questions would be where's it from why are they here where are they you know where are they now is there more of them are they dangerous is it potentially you know contaminated and they, they potentially couldn't answer any of those questions and can, can what you, would the point be can you remember us talking about the end of contact the book yes where i was saying the Inter- the the ending was interesting because essentially what they said to the people who'd gone to this other dimension or to another place in space they said look we don't have any evidence for what you experienced but we believe that you experienced it don't go do a press conference now because we can't answer anything and we can't prove it but if you will, will quietly fund your research and then when you're ready to unveil we will stand by you and that's a really it's about the most wholesome place a conspiracy could start you know, it might have transformed over the years as it kind of got passed along and people didn't really appreciate that beginning point was always to say, look, let's just take our time and we'll be clear when we can be clear. Um, but now, you know, the military industrial complex comes in and complicates that in a in a very big way. Yeah, um, I, I like Jim Semivan being, being really honest and I know some people definitely won't like this. I don't necessarily totally subscribe to it, but I get the feeling, it, it, I lean more towards what Jim was saying than not, that the the government isn't all powerful or as secretive as some would make out from a totally far extreme conspiracy point of view. You know, when the PSYOP stuff was mentioned, I won't go into detail on that. We, we talked about that beforehand, Dan, um, for reasons. Like, it's, it's illegal and there are still elements of things that the government, especially now, don't get involved in. And he was quite offended almost at the idea of, all of these different psyops and his thing was no we couldn't do that the governments don't do that there there are still some good people in the cia the fbi the nsa the dod and we're just talking american here but even make that british italian russian french chinese whatever there are still people doing jobs just at different levels i don't doubt there's levels levels of politics and levels of secrecy and at times potentially some underhanded tactics but again it's the idea of that compartmentalization as well that the government you know what is the government it's the government is not just a couple of people in a shadowy room and i think that's what i think that's what people tend to mean when they say the government isn't it it's not the president and those beneath them it's yeah the secret cabal that meet up with a kind of top ranking general and the guy who's got the the cabinet behind them with all the real ufo files and the the kind of small group with the shadowy figure with the smoking man in the corner and maybe that happens maybe it doesn't and you could kind of see him like that there are still people in his organizations that that do a lot of good work as well. Um, Tom DeLong mentioned he doesn't think it's stuff coming from deep space. He mentions oceans, mentions areas around the planet that should be looked at and studied, maybe not necessarily so far in outer space. And again, we mentioned this earlier, just bringing it back to when it was towards the end of the interview, that potentially these objects materialize uh, around the planet. And we did touch on that already. Anything you want to add to that, Dan? Um, only I guess you know as a Tom fan I just maybe snort a little bit when he said no it's in Utah it's just the future like ah, I know it's a joke next, but it's next such note. a we're, we're linked man we're, we're like mind melding we've been doing this a long time can, can it, you think of what one word I put as my note for that go on well I'll, I'll ask you to guess because I've got Tom DeLong brackets it's in Utah just in the future and then I've made one word of a note and a question mark mankind's ah oh, boom look at that yeah <laughs> so yes i've just put mankind's and is is that the reference to because we submitted some questions for this and they didn't read out many if any 
Um, and, and that's what I wanted to know straight off the bat is, you know, what's Tom's idea of what Lewis said about mankind's? Tom's a lot more loose-lipped than, uh, than others. So, Well, the, the great thing is that, and I'm kind of pulling the end of the interview just forward a little bit, just so people don't lose hope, that Tom, someone suggested doing a part two, and Tom basically said, you know, if we do a part two, I suggest that we dig into something more about what the phenomenon is about and what it's actually doing. And they all completely agreed to do that. Um, which I'm really excited for. It, it's almost like, yeah, let's just speculate amongst, you know, a scientist, someone that's been talking to government officials, someone it, it's going to be really, really, maybe fun is the wrong word because this is very serious subject, but you know, it's, it's something that I'm very excited about. Yeah. And, and, and that was pretty much nearing the end of the interview. The last kind of parts where, um, Jim Semivan spoke to scientists, and we've touched on this a little bit, who said the phenomenon answer or mystery lay between consciousness and quantum mechanics and somewhere in, in, in that space is is kind of what's going on. But it's stuff that we've probably only touched on as a civilization and our best minds and brains and thinkers. Do you know what? The, the, our best minds and brains probably aren't even on this yet, which is part of the problem. Yeah which is why we're kind of so far behind it. And it's, it's great the people who are like Jacques Vallée and Hal Putov and Eric Davis and those kind of guys that if Bob Lazar worked on it, great. Thanks, Bob Lazar, for, for your efforts and whatnot. But our very best minds probably still aren't on this and that's who we need to get involved to to kind of work it out. Um, and speaking of the very best minds, that one of the last names that was brought up was Dr. Stephen Greer, um, because the final question asked was about CE5 by Kurt. And he... Jim Semivan, I thought, gave an interesting answer where he credited Stephen Greer's early work and he made a point of saying that, you know, I appreciate the work he'd done early on. And I think that says it all about where things went. Um, Tom's answer was, again, it was typically Tom DeLong, where he just said that it's something that needs to be studied scientifically, as in we don't fully understand it yet. And maybe it's a product that obviously we know it as a product that Stephen Greer's released and, you know, human initiated contact will, you know, as James Iandoli would potentially refer to it as, if not CE5, is something that is maybe not necessarily totally understood yet. Well, of course it's not. I mean, just think about what we're talking about. Um, but it's been packaged and put out there as you can pay this to learn how to do this. And like Tom's kind of mentioned there, maybe there's something in it, but we really need to be studying it scientifically. And the people who would want to do that, again, those best minds, were, were not yet there yet in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, his answer was great, though, where he talked about, he, he mentioned something about the progression of humanity and how we won't be happy forever with just looking at radio waves. It's going to extend beyond that. We'll be looking at consciousness. And he said, when you start thinking about things like that, what would be louder than a group of people intensely focusing or thinking? If you could pick up people focusing or thinking they would be the brighter sparks in a dark place you know yeah. so it makes sense you, you can follow a kind of logic to it absolutely so do you know what really good interview i enjoyed it yeah it's worth the hour and 24 minutes of your time um it, it's really had... the one everyone's been waiting for from tom i think and i'm looking forward to part two yeah it left me definitely wanting more 
but I, I, and I've not seen too many people say this, but I've seen a few people say they were disappointed or it never gave us gave us any new information, and that's that's not correct if you've watched it in that sense. So hopefully, um, you've listened to this. Go and watch it. Um, I've retweeted the link several times and and all sorts. It's available on. Let me just get the name of it completely correct. Into the Impossible with Brian Keating. It's available on YouTube. Go and check it out. It's it's worth your your eighty four minutes. So yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this breakdown as well. Moving on, uh, Bob Fish is a name that was brought up by Ross Coulthard in, in several of his interviews, and he uh, was someone who was involved in the John Podesta, uh, WikiLeaks, not WikiLeaks, not was WikiLeaks, yeah. Yeah, WikiLeaks. Uh, yeah, some of the emails that came out as a name who was going back and forward with, you know, the Clintons and, and, and Tom DeLong back in the day was involved in all that as well, as to discussing the, the UFO issue. And... Basically, Ross Coulthard has said he is a name that is not out there enough that people are trying to contact. Um, I was saving this for when I spoke to Ross, but that's now been moved back to September. Um, I did reach out to, to Bob Fish straight away as soon as I heard Ross mention this in one of his interviews. And and Bob was very gracious to respond to me with quite a comprehensive, uh, a couple of emails, actually. And I asked him if I could use what he said in, as a quote. So I've got, it's going to take a minute or so, but I'm going to read out everything that he he said to me because there's some really interesting stuff in there as well um, and i did ask dan this beforehand if i thought i should read it out or just read bits of it uh, and dan definitely said yeah go for yeah, it whole thing um i knew this was coming so i was sure to mention the radio waves thing and i just kind of mentioned to people to keep keep an ear out for lines about the spectrum yeah, so given what we've just heard in the interview last night and, and we've heard in other interviews past and previous, here was Bob Fish's thoughts that he emailed me over a couple of weeks ago. And again, I'll, I'll dig into this with uh, Ross Coulthard. I'm not very interested in expanding my footprint in the UFO community. UFOs are an intellectually interesting phenomenon to me, but not one I want to d- dive deeply into because of some flaky history in the past probably due to US government and maybe religious interventions. The thing I was trying to do had to do with John Podesta possibly opening up the UFO files if he was White House Chief of Staff. I was simply responding to that initiative, telling him where to look for the empirical stuff since everyone has seen the bloody shots of some bright object in the sky or heard about the silent triangle of lights zooming in the night sky, etc. This is like doing an audiobook, you know that? He never said that, I'm just adding that bit in. One would have to be really clueless to not think our military and intelligence agencies have been collecting information since at least 1947, and I'd argue the Foo Fighters of World War II even pushed that back a bit. Quick shout out to Graham Rendell and his upcoming book on just that subject. It seems that now some portions of the US government are willing to drag out their radar intercept tapes and UAP incident communications. Perhaps others will soon put forth additional empirical information about tracking or monitoring even or even interfering with strange flying phenomena. So I'm willing to wait and see on this. Someday soon, we should be able to cross-reference information from a human sighting with an airspace radar scan or sea space acoustic scan and a high-resolution image, whether visual or multispectral. More importantly are the concepts that Dr. Edgar Mitchell came out with. We keep talking about aliens, in inverted commas, as being from another planet or galaxy, like they live far, far away. Well, maybe they are simply from a different universe that also utilises Earth as a home. If so, maybe they are more like ancestors whose cultural or whose culture has evolved beyond ours at this time. 
or maybe a combo of faraway visitors with nearby non-human earthlings. I mean, does anyone really think these little 30-feet saucers flew 450 light years to get here? If so, then I guess I guess the Earth is flat too, eh? As we move forward with string theory, DNA analysis, gene splicing, and artificial intelligence, we may make some interesting discoveries about the life that inhabits the Earth. Hopefully, MUFON or somebody will get their act together and start working on this from a critical thinking perspective and large data fusion project. But that is another story. Thanks, Edgar. I'll take a pause for breath there uh, because that was the first email and I've got a second interesting follow-up as well. Dan, initial thoughts on that response? It's a huge response considering that he doesn't want a bigger footprint. Um, A lot of it vibes with what was said in the interview with Tom and Jim, which is what I found most startling. Um, You know, there are all these little synchronicities there. Um, And yeah, it's just a very startling email. A lot of it's very matter-of-fact. Uh, when when I just didn't expect that from Bob. Yeah, like I say, I, I did ask him when he sent that massive response. Uh, I didn't ask for that, uh, and he gave that willingly, which was great. And uh, I said if he ever changed his mind, you know, I would love to host him on the podcast, and I'd love to hear him on any podcast. Yeah, I'm not, you know, professionally jealous that if he he chose to go on some other, you know, bigger platform, that that would be great. But I would love to speak to him, just given the the breadth of the answer. He then followed up again. I didn't ask for this. He gave me some more information. I did mention to others about when we cross-connected Edgar Mitchell with the IRVA, which is the International Remote Viewers Association, in 2001 at their annual conference. Uh, This is the remote viewers organization that grew out of Project Stargate. My first meeting with Edgar was literally in an isolation chamber aka the Apollo 14 mobile quarantine facility in March 2001. It was a pretty amazing conversation. I don't know if you've had any contact with the IRVA, but they have had a very few or a few very interesting contact cases that helped Edgar have a better grasp on the brackets alien thing. The second generation remote viewers after Pat Price, Ingo Swan, Russell Targ, etc., who paved the way still get together once a year. The hardest part of going down the quantum hologram path interesting interesting uh, use of words yeah, there. And I'll double underline that. Yep. The the hardest part of going down the quantum hologram path is understanding there is no such thing as time, and it helps to understand there is a much broader electromagnetic spectrum than what we humans can measure and monitor. Once someone grocks that, the universe opens up quite a bit. There is much that our eyes can't see and ears can't hear, but our mind can view, if not interact with. I found that really interesting. Um, For reference... For Christians, it's like saying that the true question to ask for becoming nearer to God is not, where can he be found? That's already been answered everywhere, which is to say for oneself here. The real question to ask is, when is God? And the answer eventually becomes obvious, now. There is a vast living universe or set of universes swirling all around us, but we humans tend to narrowly focus our mind on rushing to our next meeting in 10 minutes, hoping we get a few likes on our next social media post, pondering the calorie intake of the food we are eating or worrying about the pandemic. It's like we're trying to make digital copies of ourselves, avatars, rather than expand our consciousness to a higher capability. And yes, this absolutely has a lot to do with UFOs and aliens. So again, like Dan says, yeah, for a guy who, who isn't up for getting involved or dipping his toe back into the UFO community, I would ask him again to, to please, uh, 
put yourself out there on on someone's show or podcast or or give someone some of your time because that's a fascinating response to a question I didn't even begin to ask. Absolutely. To to uh, for someone to say, you know, essentially stop building tools and start shoving ayahuasca into your face. Um that's <laughs> I'd love to talk to him. You know, Dan, it's one of my favorite interviews that never even happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, thanks to Bob. I, I, I'm not uh, egomaniacal enough to think he's listening to this, but um, public thank you for, for giving that information. And again, he gave permission to share that as well. And hopefully in the future, we can get to speak to Bob as, as much of what he shared there um, from a really interesting place is what was in that interview last night. And uh, Ross Coulthart is someone who many people are putting a lot of eggs in his basket at the moment. Um, and we will be speaking to him in around three or four weeks. Uh, he he vouches for Bob Fish in a huge way as well. So he does, and and I really really recommend people read Ross's book. Um, I think I think I've got about a half hour left of the audiobook, but it's really fantastic. He's been very thorough. He hasn't just taken people's words for things. He's gone, you know, over and above where he he needs to to produce a book like he's he's done. Um, so it's something that I feel people should invest time into reading. Absolutely. So some really interesting stuff. I did put out onto Twitter to ask people's thoughts on the the interview from last night. And uh, I'll, I'll share some of those with you now. Uh, Craig, who's one of the, he was actually the original Patreon of the show. So thanks to Craig, who's stuck around all this time. Um, they needed to do this interview a year ago. Tom is learning from Jim how to sell this better, but is it too late? I guess we find out with the September SEC report. What do you think, Dan? Uh, really interesting. Um, every year, whenever those SEC reports are filed, it tends to bring you know slight little revelations in kind of what their plans are. So I'm always eager to see those. I think it'll clear up a lot of what people are asking about the future of TTSA. Yeah, uh, Joe commented that the interview felt a little light on details. It was fairly introductory for an audience new to ufology. The questions could have been more probing with better informed hosts, but at least TTSA is getting a broader and more scientific audience. Do you know what? I get that, that but that, again, it's not a UFO podcast. There's stuff in there that I wouldn't have asked, rightly or wrongly, because I come from a bias of not everyone knows everything and this is something i think i had to learn as an interviewer um early on where some of the feedback was i would have liked the more basic questions to kick off with and i know there's people listening to this that have an incredible knowledge far better than my own and i'm lucky to speak to the guests and for a time i was just asking questions for that audience but then you realize there are a whole host of people new to the subject or not familiar with a certain guest and you have to cater to everyone. So I, I thought they'd done quite a good job of, of what they asked. And maybe for me, what lacked, but we might get in further follow-ups, is a little bit more probing into some of the answers that were given. Yeah, and and it's a, it's a good point you make, actually, that that audience isn't necessarily us. It's not the UFO community. As much as we were there and we were excited, we were all screaming Captain McCaslin in the chat, and that question never came because it's a fairly, you know, you need to be fairly dug into the subject to understand the whole WikiLeaks thing and the General McCaslin connection. Um, but when you look at that video as an introduction video for people, there are some concepts in there that I didn't come across for, you know, years and years and years into researching the phenomena. So 
it, it's one of those little breadcrumbs that is going to cause so many people to go off on their own paths and start looking at these ideas. And it's a science channel. So, you know, as Avi said, they are the scientists. This is who we want getting these ideas. And you know what? If if you get a chance uh, to watch this, and please do go and go and watch that interview back on YouTube, you can see the chat at the side uh, at the same time. And there's loads of the the usual names and faces, or not faces, because it's a chat, it's text. But you you'll see the avatars in there and the comments. And there's lots of people with an interest in the subject who are involved. Dan was in there and Gaucho and all those guys as well. But there are other people who obviously aren't interested in the UFO subject. And you do get the comments of, it must be a slow news week having these guys on because they don't know who they are necessarily or they don't care. And they see UFO chat as being beneath them. So fair play and kudos to them having that conversation that sometimes they have introduced guests to a new audience that's not just for UFOs. And people can forget that sometimes, that it's not just for you i think it's a very intimate medium um podcasting in an audio form for me is the purest because you're literally talking to that person like right now i am the voice inside your head sorry to freak you out okay and dan is there as well <laughs> time traveling right. through space and being yeah in people's heads <laughs> all of that stuff you could be listening to this in a thousand years time say hi to the aliens for me right that's weird um, it really is but we're talking to you and this is for you you're not watching it as part of a crowd youtube you have the chat function but again it's generally just you sitting watching it so if you're watching tom and jim semivan from a place of knowing who they are and their background and context you're watching the same interview as someone brand new to this subject who has no idea who they are but you're absorbing the content in two very different ways so that's that's for me what's got to be considered as well, and it's it's the same like I say with an audio format where you're ingesting what from the interviews what you want. So fair play again to to Kurt for being a part of that, and also Brian for for hosting that. Um, Tom, not Tom DeLong, but Tom Mosher, he thought um, thoughts on how dismissive they were of the concept of reaching out or CE five. I know their feelings seem influenced by their opinion of Greer, but they also made it seem like this was a bridge too far. I think, I suppose from their point of view, it's a, they're trying to have those, Tom talked about the steps that we need to take to get to where we want. And it's a big jump to go, are they from here? Are they from elsewhere? Do we have bodies? You know, what's the science or physics involved to, yeah, you know, you can contact them if you just do some meditating and, and reach out and have this really incredible experience. It's, quite frankly, it sounds batshit to someone who isn't. Yeah first in the subject that's all it sounds you you just look crazy and it's a really good example of how you can try and have a conversation with the best intentions and the best knowledge base but you just get dismissed we need data that's how we go oh ce5 works or you know it'll be a different term when we eventually get to that point um but we need we just need data dan in the same way that 40 years ago the iphone would have sounded crazy to steve jobs yeah. but he needed data and yeah, it spawned the eventual iPhone, but it's what are the products or the concepts or ideas that need to be understood before we get to that well, point. You can go back on, you know, you can go on YouTube and look at, you know, the carousel of the future in Disney and the world's fairs and see what they were doing and what they thought the future would look like. And it's always really interesting to go look at those things because some things they get so wrong, but some things they were, you know, so prescient on. Um, and, if it wasn't for those people dreaming up these concepts, no one would have ever tried to tackle them. It needs to be an idea before it becomes a reality. 
Yeah. Um, Carl, I get, you can't say Carl in a Scottish accent. And that's C-A-R-L. It just sounds exactly the same as Carol and Carl. <laughs> um, Carl thought the biggest takeaway was Tom's suggestion that the others are creating time displacement bubbles. Tom's suggestion was that the others experience time differently and access our reality through it. The others aren't coming from outer space. Well, there could be aliens here. What TTSA seems to know about is, is localized to Earth, but not necessarily the same dimension as ours. I think we covered that pretty pretty well, and, and Carl's kind of took from it what we did in that respect. Yeah, for sure. And I'll just I'll just throw in my cat point theory again here that the you know the the cat point is never broadcast from the Nimitz. It's a pre agreed upon point, and then over the radio they just say go to your cat point. And as we all know, the Tic Tac went to the cat point before. And they they went there, and it it shouldn't have known. Um, but to me, there's an interesting kind of idea that if if they kind of see time as a smudge, and you know it's like a long exposure, that they would have seen that line extending from Fravor's plane all the way to the cap point, and could have just followed it and said, "Hey, you know, look, this is what we're doing." And it could have Maybe. just been a demonstration of how they see the universe. Same as stopping nuclear missiles at one second. It's never dangerous to them. It's just how they see the universe and they're trying to demonstrate it and we keep thinking about weapons. But was the idea again, because I know some people may be listening to this going, no, Dan, that's wrong. It's an idea, was, yes. Yeah, <laughs> they but can the, to do with the, the cap point, it was used already during that exercise before they had the tic-tac encounter. So yes. it could have been an observation yeah, rather than uh, something that they knew or picked up or, or seen broadcast. They literally could have seen that was an area being used. So just for those who yeah, might yeah, be shouting at sure. Dan. And, and it, you make a good point, actually, because even though we speculate, it's me speculating. It, it really is an idea. This isn't like, Tom, I am being in a room with all of these officials that have all this secret information. I'm just trying to put two and two together and come up with ideas like the rest of you guys. And they could be wrong and it's okay to be wrong because sometimes we just don't know. And if Dan's wrong anymore, he'll be getting replaced. <laughs> so um, Nick, he said it was equally and equally interesting and frustrating. I appreciate the update on the reasons for Chris and Lou parting with TTSA, but because Tom's been read into top secret, he can't really discuss much either, but he did a good job hinting at things and talking around the specifics. You just wonder if most of the important information will always remain classified. But I, I thought the whole idea is Tom's not been read into top secret and that he's just being around people who have i mean i don't doubt there's stuff he knows but it seems to me very much like he he's probably been talked to in analogies and bits yeah, and pieces that he's had to put together himself yeah um maybe he does know a couple of bits and pieces he technically shouldn't that would be down to the individuals who discuss with them what they have um but yeah good, good shout um gerald he said they he hadn't watched it and doesn't have to because we are going to break it down and look forward to our thoughts. So I hope he's enjoyed that. Yeah, I, and I Todd had asked. Um, yeah, Todd had asked where he can find the interview, and I've also retweet that as well. So thanks. Just to finish up, folks, on this one, I hope you've enjoyed us breaking this down uh, on the Discord chat that you get access to as being part of Patreon, or if you're on the Apple Podcast uh, Premium subscription, uh, give me a shout and we can share the link with you. There was a question being asked on the chat that had a lot of discussion, and I'm going to ask it to Dan. Uh, Dan, on a scale of 1 to 10, with no comment being not being an option, how much does Lou Elizondo know about the phenomenon that he hasn't already discussed due to NDAs, etc.? I will say that in the chat, the average number seemed to be about a 7, that most people were quite confident there's quite a lot he hasn't discussed due to NDAs. This is hard to answer. It's not. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. I mean, it's 
only only because there are people we speak to that you know well, I, I, I pick, up, I pick up impressions from people yeah. probably Less in the same way that tom does just being around people and hearing the conversations so yeah. it's hard to answer but i i would i would put it on the upper end of the scale so dan remember seven eight nine round there we are not that podcast that quotes anonymous sources or or does the whole you know we talk to some really high well, level it's not anonymous that's not, that that's not me sean's a good do. friend to me and you know sean's <laughs> almost you know a brother to louis elizondo and I, i'd never betray that trust but i would just say the upper end of that yeah scale. dan's flashing 10 fingers at the screen now I'm not, <laughs> no, he's not he's not but yeah no i i appreciate that and to be fair i don't think it's it's unfair that most people would go with that anyway yeah as and do you know what if if nothing else more than hope because it would actually be a little bit of a letdown and deflating if imagine lou did come out one day and go actually everything i've kind of said is pretty much what i know you would go oh is is that it as amazing as it's been you'd be like ah kind of hope there would be like a little bit more in there i I imagine there is and lou's kind of hinted as much hasn't he if you're going to sit on fox news and when tucker carlson asks you about crash materials and crashed craft being retrieved and he says you know yes then come on that's that's not a guess that's from a place of knowledge that he couldn't follow up so it's it's another good example of all of these guys will say in my opinion and then drop a bombshell but they will never say the government kind of said this and they're trying to kind of ease the government over into into talking about the subject which is you know we were getting to jim semivan said in the interview that one of the most amazing things that he's heard in the past you know year or so is that when he spoke to oh sorry tom said that when he spoke to the former member of the uaptf the guy who got replaced uh yep. you, you know in the last year um, that he said the most amazing thing was that they they don't have to be in a skiff to talk about this anymore. They can actually just have the conversation openly around the coffee table in the Pentagon and in the corridors, you know? And if you were a secret keeper, that would be terrifying because there's no getting it back in your office once that starts happening. Do you know what we need to find is the person, whether it's Lou Elizondo or otherwise, who, you know, they all seem to have these little bits of information that all, and, and Tom, this was actually one of my notes from earlier, and I left it out just because doing some live editing while we had the conversation to move things on, I went past it, but all these different generals and high-ranking people and scientists and physicists tell Tom bits and pieces, okay, and he pieces it all together, but it's clearly all stuff that pretty much okay to say in some way shape or form there must be one person who could just say all this at the same time and that would be really useful cough, as opposed eric davis, to cough. <laughs> well yeah and and maybe that's why eric davis tries to limit his interviews because he doesn't seem to like keeping it all in does he no but we should remember that all of his comments have not gotten him into trouble yeah and if you know, as far as we know, we, we, we don't know we what know, goes yeah, on in the background, sure. yeah. Sure. You don't know that, and this is, I suppose, the kind of darker side to it, but you don't know that Lou and Chris and Eric Davis are, are anyone really, really involved. And do you know what? Let's put people like John Greenwald potentially in that as well. Don't get text messages or, you know, threatening any emails and stuff because of what they're talking about or what they say. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, there's certainly a an undercurrent of i guess i guess it brings us back to things 
like disinformation campaigns and Richard Doty and things like that kind of diluting and diluting and muddy in the waters that we're, we're trying to swim in. Um, and it just, it just makes it harder. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I hope people have enjoyed the, the catch up and it was a good interview. It's been nice to kind of talk through it and pick apart some of those ideas. And do you know what's reassuring for me is when you hear these interviews and it's like stuff we have discussed in the past on the podcast. And yeah, it makes me think that we're along the right lines and some of these ideas have been discussed at high levels and there's a chance that maybe some of the things we think are are correct which is which is comforting in a, in a way so yeah, yeah all good the, uh, and, am i okay just to read out something that jim semivan said i think it's a permanent thing to kind of close out with please yeah um so at the end of the interview they were asked how do people get involved and semivan had a kind of little bit of a rant that i wrote down because i thought it was just great he said, don't let the, sit, the government sit quietly. There are human beings that work there and they get distracted. There's not much win in it for people to start talking about this subject when it means they can't get their job done. Don't let them live this down. Bring this up in a debate, in the press, to the president, to the PR. We're quiet and complacent after getting a report that says it's real and it blows my mind. In my opinion, they know a hell of a lot more than we know. Black programs don't tend to have a mechanism for public releases. So we need to apply pressure and finally, they will act on the will of the people. The government doesn't own this data. It doesn't own the subject. It's appearing to everyone, everywhere. And we won't discuss classified info, but the public has to know that the consensus reality we all agree on isn't right. Nice way to round out. Just a very quick update, as Joe Morgia has messaged me as we are finishing mm -hmm. up. He's not going to tweet the stuff because it's quite a comprehensive email that I read out before from Bob Fish. He is going to put it on his next blog, cool. and he will he will kind of share his thoughts on there too. So he's it very much yeah, yeah, it's some good. So again, he will he will have that on there if you want to read it in text form as well, folks. Uh, Dan and I will be recording some more shows coming up. You've got the listener call in part two due out in a couple of days time. Uh, we're going to do that long-awaited What If Day After Disclosure pod as well. And the Futurama one is still happening. People are asking about it, but we are going to do it. It's just getting to it. But we are going to set aside time for it in the next few days as well. So lots to still come this month. And hopefully I can announce who's doing that special listener Q&A soon with us as well. Or, or maybe more than one person. I don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> but anyway, cheers, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Speak to you soon, folks. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Meditative game of fate full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. Thank you.
out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was wet. I called out to my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems, and they think I should seek therapy, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.